Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the dynamic Joe Fordyce. Joe, the Flyers offseason continues. We know what the team did in free agency. We know what it didn't do in free agency. We know the players in-house. Maybe Chuck Fletcher has another move up his sleeve down the line. Not sure about that. But we pretty much know what the team has right now on its roster going into training camp as that gets closer to September. So, Joe, let's look at some of the players that the Flyers got. We're going to break down best move, worst move, and we're going to even look at their worst non-move because I think a lot of people have opinions on that. Joe, let's get right into it. Let's start with best move. If you had to pick one, I'm smiling a little bit because I'm sure people will debate if there's even a best move. That's just the reality of what the team did this offseason. But best move in your mind this offseason by the Flyers. Well, I'm gonna say <clears throat> I'm gonna say Tony D'Angelo, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take everything out of the equation, uh, contract term, money, all that stuff, and I'm gonna say Tony D'Angelo. If Ryan Ellis is not ready to play on opening night, which I think all of us realize that that's probably what's going to be the case, um, Tony D'Angelo is probably your best defenseman opening night. So. I, I feel like anytime you you've added someone that could be the best player at your position that at that particular position on opening night, that has to be considered your best move. Um, I mean, dynamic. He, he's a dynamic offensive player. Um, we saw him had a lot have a lot of success with a super well coached team in Carolina. So, uh, hope Tortorella can have the same sort of effect on, um on D'Angelo here and and you know he's a hometown kid obviously he said everything the right way his past is we've all heard about his past we know about it we're not going to get into it here but he has some controversy in his past and and quite frankly maybe a little bit to make up for let's say um because uh there are some doubts when you when you have a history and taking aside, I'm not even speaking about his views or any of that sort of stuff. I'm talking more about he he's had incidents with teammates. And I think that's the thing that um, is going to catch a lot of people's eyes. And, you know, um, he he has to – that's never going away. That That's always going to be on his record and the – the, the best he can do is just bury it far down his record. So um, I definitely think that's part of the Tony D'Angelo equation here is to kind of get people to forget about or, or, or put the past behind them. Um, we don't really live in a world right now where that's uh, – people don't do that so well. Um, social media doesn't do it so well. Um, so – that's definitely part of this, but in terms of pure skill on the ice, um, opening night, you know, he's on your top defense pair. So I'm going to say that's their best move. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I agree, Joe. I think a lot of the debate about the D'Angelo acquisition is more about how he is viewed as a person in many people's eyes rather than the player. I think a lot of people would agree the player is a pretty decent player. Uh, ready shot defenseman, puck mover, can put up points, will help you on the power play will help you defensively. He's at a good age. He's 26. I think a lot of people were more upset about his past as a person. I th- while I think it's fair to acknowledge what he's done well in the past, I think it's also fair to acknowledge what he's done most recently in the past, and that was apparently having his head on straight in Carolina, playing well, being a good teammate. Rob Brindamore, the head coach of the Hurricanes, had nothing but good things to say about him. His teammates liked him. He stayed he stayed out of trouble. He didn't say anything controversially. So I think that's fair to acknowledge that if his second chance in Carolina after what things went really wrong in New York, he, he did well for himself and he was a good teammate and a good player. So uh, when I look at the trade, I don't think the Flyers lost a whole lot with the picks. The, the highest round pick that they lost among the three comes in 2024, so it's a pick I think they can recoup eventually. And I don't think the deal's all that awful. Uh, $5 million annually over two years, there's no trade protection at all. So if the deal doesn't work out, they could possibly move him. They're not committed to him too long term. So I think the deal's uh, respectable, and it's not a, a, you know, a cap killer or a long-term killer for the Flyers. So D'Angelo, I would have to say, is the best move so far, I think, in the Flyers' offseason. And really, if Ryan Ellis comes back healthy at some point, a big if, but if he does, you're looking pretty deep on defense. Uh, I think, really, your extra defenseman would be Cam York or Justin Braun. So that's not a bad outlook on defense where the Flyers really needed to address, given their goals against have been bad, their PK has been bad. They need to help Carter Hart, and I think D'Angelo has the potential to do that. Yeah, I agree. And also, if you just look at the fact that he quarterbacked the power play uh, that for a team that had one of the best records in the league. Now, I know he was playing with Jacob Slavin, who's another great defenseman. So, But still, you can't argue results. Um, and for a lot of last year, the problem was they couldn't move the puck on the power play. I mean, we all took, talked about when Cam York came up, how that power play looked different because York was able to get the puck moving around. And quite frankly, it's just not really a strength of Ivan Provorov. So I think D'Angelo's presence on the power play is going to be uh, be a huge help. Um, who will score the goals? <laughs> we'll see. But, you know, you need that quarterback to set the guys up to score the goals. So um, I think that'll be a huge, a, a huge help. So anytime you can help your – top power play unit i don't know how you can argue that that was their best move given what he brings to the team as well as when you look at it in the scope of all the activity i i mean he might be the only really impactful player they brought in here 
So I think that's another factor. As we all know, the Flyers had the worst power play in the league last year, and they had issues going even back to entries, just trying to get the puck out of the defensive zone and into the offensive zone. As we know, puck-moving defensemen have uh, a big impact in doing that, and Tony D'Angelo is a puck mover, so absolutely he can help the power play. And I think if he has matured as a person like he said he has and like he at least showed last season in Carolina – and if he's the loyal team that he says he is and that others have said he can be, I think this could be a good move because the, the biggest issue people have talked about with the Flyers over the last two seasons in which they've missed the playoffs is they, they haven't replaced Matt Niskanen. They haven't had a top pair defenseman alongside of him pro Rob ever since Matt Niskanen retired. They tried to do it with Ryan Ellis last year. He got hurt. He played only four games. So, you needed to address that hole. It's two years, basically, of not addressing that hole. D'Angelo gives you insurance if Ellis isn't ready. And at least you can say you have some solid stability on the back end. You're not really uh, – you're not, you're not looking at a major hole for a third straight year on defense. At least D'Angelo gives you some insurance. Uh, so, to me, yeah, got to be one of the best moves, if not the best, uh, in this all season. Joe, let's shift gears a little bit here. Worst move. Worst move in your mind uh, this offseason by Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers. So I'm going to say the move to bring in um, Delorier is is a a, a puzzling one. Now, I'm not going to argue that this team didn't need toughness. Um, There's been a lot of this narrative of being hard to play against. I do think toughness is part of the hard to play against um, and Delorier brings that. The part that I don't understand is the four-year deal and the limited no trade for a player who is, you know, he's not a, I mean, he's a, me- a mediocre player at best. Um, and that's the part I don't understand because um, the the whole theme around this um around this offseason was that they didn't have a ton of maneuverability because of term and money on deals. Um, but then there's term, not a ton of money, but there's this kind of term given to a player that I don't really know how much impact he's going to have on the team. And really, I mean, I think to kind of go in a different direction with this, I think the worst move was to just come out and say that you weren't in on these other free agents because of other deals and salary cap and things like that. Like that's just not a, not a, I don't think that's a great message to have out there um, that you have immovable contracts and you're kind of stuck in this. um, I mean, for lack of a better word, salary cap hell. and I just don't – that's not – there's no way to be inspired about that, like to hear, well, we couldn't do this because we have deal these deals we can't move. You know, uh, GMs kind of find a way to th- get things done, and, um, you know, that's kind of – that's the job of the front office, and a lot of times that stuff stays under wraps with how they do or don't do things, and this kind of didn't. I mean, in on one sense, it was a uh, – honest comment from um, Chuck Fletcher last week, but in the other sense, it was 
honesty and that didn't make you feel great. And um, so I'm going to say that was the worst move was to, to, to just lay, basically lay all the cards out there on the table um, that, that they didn't really have any maneuverability. Um, and then that, when you also look at the Delorier contract, it just kind of, um, it, it's a little bit of mixed messaging uh, in terms of, you know, what, what the Flyers are saying. Like, are you stuck or, um, and if you are, what was the need to give a four-year deal to a, you know, a bottom six forward? Yeah, I think people heard aggressive retool from the GM in January, and, and we've heard that now a lot since then. Well, aggressive means having to move money to bring on better players. Like that's just part of uh, the job of the GM is you're in a salary cap world that, you know, a flat cap world uh, from the past two seasons because of COVID, you need to, you need to be able to move money and make space and, and be creative to, to take on better players. And I feel like Jordan, I feel like aggressive retool has become the Flyers dream team. Like when Vince Young years ago said that the Eagles had a dream team and everything flopped, I, I that's been stuck. Like that's been stuck as a, a thing that's gone in Philly sports lore for a negative reason. And I feel like aggressive retool, retool has now become the Flyers version of that and that it's going to be remembered as a thing that was that, that kind of just, I mean, it's different in the sense that this is not anything blowing up in their face. It's just aggressive retool doesn't match what they've done. Whereas dream team was him referring to the players they already got. And those guys just not living up to the expectations. But I just feel like that's, that term is going to be a label put on this team until they turn things around and, and make people forget it quite frankly. Yeah, the messaging just doesn't line up with the action. And I think that's where I think people are just upset. That's the reason why fans are frustrated. I think some people would have understood that they didn't get Johnny Gaudreau had the team come out and said, listen, we think we're years away. Uh, we, we really need to restart things here a bit. We're not in the market for a big splash. But they came out and said aggressive retool. We want to get better quickly. And then you have an offseason or at least a free agency that – was all about improving at the margins, not making a considerable move to get you a lot better. And that's where I just think people are frustrated. They're just, when fans aren't in the know, they get ticked off. If you, if you keep them apprised and informed and you feel like you're valuing uh, that they, that they're in the know, then they're okay. Then they're okay with things. They at least feel like they're, being informed and apprised of what's going on with the team. At the end of the day, they're the biggest investors. They're the thing that drive the team financially and just the overall picture of what the team does is driven by fan interest and investment. But uh, when when they're not in the know, that's the problem. And I think that that's just what the messaging didn't really connect with the action. And I think that's where people are frustrated. But Joe, if I had to agree, I think Nick Delorier to me was the probably the most questionable move. I don't think he's an awful player, and I think he can play a role. I'm not going to sit here and bash him and act like it was the worst move I've ever seen in my life, but there is trade protection according to Cap Friendly in the first two years of the deal. That's not the best thing in the world to have trade protection for a fourth-line grinder. 
No, and if you think about it too, the Flyers have had problems with guys because of trade protection. I mean, there's yeah. there's been several guys on this team where it's like, well, they have to approve a deal. I mean, obviously, most notably is Claude Giroux last year. But I just feel like when you start throwing around trade protection to anybody that wants it, down the you know down the road you're going to find yourself in, in in having some having some real problems and you know i'm not saying that this is definitely going to happen but again this is part of the messaging i think is you leave fans going why why did you do that yeah and and that and apparently there was a very aggressive market after nick delorier so maybe the trade protection and the four years that they gave him were all attractive incentives for him picking the Flyers. That, that could be the case. And the trade protection doesn't look great, but I will say, you know, like, there's a good chance they don't even look to trade him in the first two years. And then it, it opens up in year three and year four, the deal where maybe a team that's contending and ready to win now is looking to add a fourth line grinder for cheap. He's only making 1.75 million a year. Again, not like an awful deal. It's just probably the most questionable and most questionable because for me, they talked about needing more top-end talent, more high-end talent up front for scoring purposes. They haven't scored goals over the last two seasons. Last year in particular, they were one of the worst goal-scoring teams in the league. They really struggled offensively. And you say you need top-end talent, and he's the only forward you add in the offseason. And he's he's known as a fourth-line grinder for toughness, for PKing, uh, a guy with a career-high 10 goals. So – that's just where I think I'm confused is you're thinking they're going to add some, some high end talent up front, people that can make things happen. And the only forward they added was really uh, the only NHL forward they added was Nick Delorier. So I just, that's where I'm a little confused and maybe, maybe there's something else to be done. Fletcher has been aggressive in the trade market throughout his tenure. All his biggest deals in, in every off season of his tenure have been via trade. So maybe there's something up his sleeve, but, Right now, that looks like the big forward they got, and it doesn't really match the offensive mindset that they were talking about in the offseason. No, and when you add to that, we don't know what Joel Farabee is going to be when he comes back. Right. I mean, I, I understand the, all the projections of when he comes back, but we don't know. We've seen with injuries. We just don't know. Um, so that, that could be a hit to your lineup as well. So it's not even just – there's been a lot of talk about guys coming back from injuries, but there hasn't been a lot of talk about what if guys don't just come back from injuries and aren't a hundred percent to start the season. And I'm speaking of Sean Couturier, Joel Farabee, obviously now, I mean, you know, and injuries happen too. So it's not, um, it's not as if someone flipped the switch and says, okay, well this year, this year you're not going to have injuries. It, that's, so we've heard a lot of stuff about if they come back from injuries and if they come back from injuries, this and that. I mean, look, we don't – we sit here, and, and I think the two of us can agree, we have no idea what's going on with Ryan Ellis. No idea. I mean, there's been no – there's been a significantly lack of detail given about this player's status, I would say, for – nine months now i mean really we have no idea yeah, and the most, um yeah, the most aside from little glimpses of him working on the side and things and even that went away you know a long time ago so i 
you know, that that's one thing. And, you know, we assume Sean Couturier is going to come back and be Sean Couturier. Um, but we have to remember, Sean Couturier is, you know, he's not a, like a super young guy anymore. And he's got played a lot of hockey games, a lot of hockey games. So um, to assume that no one is going to get hurt is also – I, I don't think that that is a good – line of thinking either when you're looking ahead to next season. Well, we're going to get this guy back, this guy back, this guy back, and that guy back. Well, you might also lose this guy and that guy. And and it, it just – it has to be said. Injuries happen in sports. Um, nobody's immune to them. Yeah, what I really think their vision right now is they want to shore up things defensively. And they're, they, don't, they don't even – not to say they don't care about offense, but – they're not focused on that right now. They're, they want to shore things up defensively. And if they if they prove that they can play John Tortorella's style and they significantly cut down their goals against and say they're say they're competitive and maybe they have a chance, then they'll address offense. Uh, but I think they want to first see this team play the right way and cut down the goals against, and then they'll go out and maybe make a splash offensively, whether it's at the trade deadline next year whether it's next offseason, if they feel like they took a step closer to being a contender, then they'll look to spend money or clear money. I think that's really where they're at. Is like they're just not even really committing money to offense right now. They're gonna they already have six forwards making over five million. So I think right now they're really saying we gotta get better defensively and play the right way first before we can even worry about getting flashy playmakers that put the puck in the net. So that's and I guess if you look at John Tortorella's history, particularly with the Columbus Blue Jackets, I, he he took a similar team to the playoffs, and they they swept a team that would go on to win two Stanley Cups in a row yeah. um, in the Tampa Bay Lightning a few years back. So it that Columbus that particular Columbus team did not have. Uh, I mean, they had Cam Atkinson, but they didn't have a plethora of goal scorers. So if you're, if you're, I mean, you could look at that and say, okay, so there's not like the sky isn't falling because John Tortorella has a history of getting more out of players than necessarily what it says on a piece of paper. And if you're counting on that, okay. Um, but again, the messaging to me is, um, you know, I know we were going to talk about the, the worst, non-move and I'm going to, the non-move to me is the messaging um, because the messaging is aggressive retool and nothing about what they've done so far f- falls in line with the aggressive retool uh, mindset. Flyers Talk is brought to you by Great Railing. Stop into Great Railing for the highest quality and lowest prices on all your railing, decking, and fencing needs. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Yeah, Joe, you teased it. I think it's probably the most opinionated topic right now among Flyers land is what was the worst non-move so far the Flyers offseason. I'm sure a lot of people would think Johnny Gaudreau and not really going after him, a guy that appeared to want to play in Philadelphia, a guy that scored 115 points, scored over 40 goals last year, uh, and the team didn't really appear like they went after him all that aggressively because of their salary cap situation. So, Joe, in your mind, worst non-move, what do you got? I'm Like I said, I'm going to say that the lack of moves overall – is the worst non-move because you told fans we're doing this quickly with this aggressive retool label. And then nothing about what you did uh, matches up with that. And I think that's overall, that is the worst non-move. Um, I mean, there's still guys out there, but again, the messaging last week was we can't move anything. We have no room. So we're out. So I don't think fans are even thinking about who else is out there because you told them not to, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the worst non-move because I think a lot of times as a fan, what you're looking for is hope. And whether that be hope to get in the playoffs or in the offseason, hope to land a uh, a big-time player. And I think the Flyers in their messaging last week took that away uh, in very blunt terms. And I'm not sure that that is um, what this fan base was looking for. Yeah, it's almost like they're quietly rebuilding uh, or or really not going for it fully this season. Like they want to be better and more competitive, but they're doing it in smaller steps. And – if they would have come out last week and said, we're tanking next season to try to get Connor Bedard in the draft, who is supposed to be the, the, the a generational player that would be in next year's draft, I think fans would have wrapped their arms around that a lot more than what they heard last week. Uh, now, you're of course, you're never going to get anybody to say that. Um, and And we've seen in this league, things go the way you don't think. So it's not like – it's a little different than the NBA where it's when teams are tanking, it becomes obvious. No one says it, but the product on the court looks and feels like someone's tanking to bottom out to get free agents or draft picks or whatever the case may be. In hockey, it's not that simple. There, You don't really see that. But all I'm saying is if you would have told fans we're going to be terrible – they, they, I think they would have grasped that message a lot more than the message that is right now out there, which is kind of like this just in the middle ground, we're stuck, 
almost like you're in hockey purgatory here. Like, yeah. and how long will you be there type of thing? And not, no daylight was provided by anything that, that this team said last week. Yeah, it, it's really tough uh, to, you know, to be full go competitive in the present, but also having a, a real focus on the future. It's, it's tough to do both. The best teams can do both. Uh, they can, they can be, they can be competitive and contending now, and then they can also be focused on the future and making sure when, uh, you know, when things start to cycle, uh, they're, they're still in it down the road, but it's not easy to do. Uh, if I had to pick something, maybe aside from the Johnny Gaudreau non-move, I, I was, I'm still, I still believe they could have been a player for him and it would have been a, a good time to do it, especially when it seems like fan interest is really lacking and there's some frustration, uh, Butts weren't in seats toward the end of last year, or really from about January on. I thought it w- it would have been great. Johnny uh, Johnny Gaudreau would have been great uh, organizationally uh, in terms of business and promotion and all that fun stuff. But if I had to go maybe somewhere else, I I, I could look at goalie Joe. I would say they did they really address backup goalie. Uh, they got Troy Grosnick, um, but he doesn't have a lot of NHL games to his name. Uh, and they're going to let the back out, the backup position kind of play out through Grossnick, Felix Sandstrom, and Samuel Arson. Uh, again, all younger players that have not played in the NHL a whole lot. And to me, that's a little problematic, a little worrisome, because Carter Hart's only 23, and he he looked like he rebounded last year, but there's nothing absolute about him not struggling again or needing help. And this team has given up the most goals over the last two seasons along with the Devils. So, you know, yeah, what, what if Carter struggles? What if they don't play well in front of their goalie? What if Hart maybe deals with an injury? You don't really have anything with experience in your backup position. Now, maybe they could address that later on if they feel like they need to. But right now, I feel like maybe a non-move is also not addressing uh, uh, the backup goalie position, which I think is pivotal especially with a team that's given up a lot of shots and a lot of goals over the last couple of years. Yeah, I would say add to that, you know, we've seen Carter Hart deal with these little nagging injuries. Yeah. Um, pretty much every season since he's come up. Uh, and the days of a where a goalie plays, you know, 75 games are gone. It just doesn't really happen outside of maybe Andre Vasilevsky in Tampa. Um, but – so you need you need a backup goalie that can play twenty games. You you don't need a backup goalie that can play, you know, five to ten games. You need a guy that can play a sizable amount of games. And like you said, I'm not sure they have that guy on the roster right now. And yeah, that's yeah. definitely a concern. Yeah, and, and maybe it's time. Maybe eventually you got to take the training wheels off of some of these backup goalies and let them let them take games, let them get in net and see if they can do it. Uh, you know, like Felix, Felix Sandstrom's not really young anymore. I believe he's 25. I don't want to say that for fact, but I believe he's in that 25-year-old range. Um, I'm not sure of Troy Grosick's age. I know he's a little older as well. But, you know, again, it's we'll see you know, where this team is defensively and from a goal prevention standpoint. They need to be better in front of Carter Hart, and they really need Carter Hart to, you know, to show that he's – the guy. Uh, if he can be the guy and the team is better in front of him, then I think you can really get by with having maybe a less proven backup. But if you hit roadblocks from a health standpoint or from uh, a system standpoint, then suddenly I think that backup goalie position could be vital and you're going to need a lot of games and you're going to have to hope 
one of these younger guys, not, not younger, but one of these unproving guys comes in and proves themselves. Um, yeah, I just looked in it, and Sandstrom is 25, and okay. Grossnick is 32. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, these are – those guys are in veteran ages. Yeah. Type. I mean, Sandstrom definitely less so than Grossnick. Yeah. But, you know, at 32, it's hard to vision, envision Grossnick, who has limited NHL experience, coming in and playing 20-plus games. You just don't see that happening at 32 because it would have happened before now at this, you know, at some point. So, yeah, it's definitely a concern. Yeah, and maybe this is part of their, you know, trying to save money and not fully go for it. Like they're they're going to let some young guys play at forward and in net, and they're going to save money doing so. Uh, obviously, Martin Jones last year made $2 million as a backup. Right now, they're probably saving a little bit by not going out and spending two to three million on a backup or one point five million on a backup. They're going to let some kids play, see if they can play, and if they can't, then they'll then they'll adjust. I think that's really the approach right now. But I I think they believe they can cut down on their goals against and at least be competitive in that way. Well, Joe, this was fun. It was fun looking at all you know the moves, the non moves, uh, what we thought was the best and the worst of this off season. Who knows if it's done. For certain, I don't think they're going to be spending money right now, but possibly they make a trade to, to clear money and add on a player with money. We shall see. But uh, we'll continue to cover it all here on the Flyers Talk. But, Joe, thanks so much. Great seeing you and great chatting with you. As always, appreciate your insight. A big thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast producer and guru. Thank you to him. And thank you, as always, to Flyers fans for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and listen. And we can't wait to talk to you next time.